Welcome to Daring Two, a podcast that finds out how CEOs and entrepreneurs navigate today's business world. The conventions they're breaking, the challenges they faced, and the decisions that they've made. And lastly, just what makes them different. Well, what a way for us to kick off 2023. Joining me today is Alan Vay, a serial entrepreneur, Forbes 30 under 30. He's just traveled from the UK back to Dubai. He's only just landed, but he looks as fresh as a daisy and he's raring to go to share his knowledge, his expertise about a subject that I think is like on everybody's radar right now. There's like a ton of news about technology. Yeah, we know technology has been around a long time, but you're kind of like, a really interesting character. So I've got some what I call wicked questions for you today that we're going to cover. We're going to yeah. cover, does it make a difference? Is an entrepreneur successful because of the diverse experiences that they bring to the table? Why do I ask that question? Well, Alan was born in South Africa, but apparently he's lived around many countries. Let's explore. Does that make a difference to being a really successful entrepreneur? Mm, I wonder. We'll get his thoughts on that. Um if you've heard of blockchain, I will share with you my own experience of blockchain very briefly. Back in about 2016, 2018, I was on the board of a publicly listed company in um, Australia, sitting on the board. The board were talking about black blockchain. I came out of the meeting and said, has anybody got blockchain for dummies? Because I like, I really need to understand this. And I, my mind is blown. But Alan is going to help us understand that in a way that's really important. Web one, web two, web three. I don't know. Do you know what they are? If you don't know what Web3 is, you better listen in because it's something that we may all really want to benefit from. So, you know, I'm honoured to have you on the show, Alan. I mean, you know, you are, you've created not only successful businesses, raised $300 million and more, um, but you're continuing to be an advocate for a tech industry, but making tech accessible. So let's start. Tell me, what does golf and blockchain have in common? I asked that question because it seems like golf was quite important in your early days. And I play a bit of golf, but I can't say I've connected it to blockchain. So tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Hey, Rita. Thanks for having me up for a chat today. Um, so maybe just starting off on, on that first point, right? I think I played a lot of uh, being South African culturally. It's quite typical to play um, a lot of sports it's very sort of outdoorsy lifestyle, right? It's everything from water sports to different team sports. Uh, golf and uh, rowing were the ones that kind of resonated best with me, and I, I continued on playing the most. I think in any team sport, especially as you're growing up as a kid, it's just great in learning the discipline of training, right? Um, the competitive nature and figuring out how to, uh, at times, do it with, well, what you call in the golfing world, with etiquette or just, you know, competitive but not too far in the realm of uh, uh, being a little bit unpleasant to others so I think a lot of those sort of good fundamental building blocks and how to deal with people in a competitive environment and work together uh, come from the world of sports. And so what was it I mean like you know you trained like national I mean you played at a national level um, but then you decided to pursue computer science what was it about computer science that interested you I mean that's not necessarily outdoorsy is it? But but clearly there was a passion, a hidden passion that you've had, which you've actually brought to, in all seriousness, um, to to play in in a very important space right now. So, tell us a little bit about what was the intrigue around AI, computer science, and your your time at Imperial College, because that's kind of where you got your like you really kind of made it 
come alive. Tell us a little bit yeah, about ex- that. Exactly. So I started, I moved to the UK. I was living in Germany. And when I was 16, my parents uh, moved us to the UK. And that's really when um, I've been playing kind of at a national level in Germany. And then the moving country, that age at 16 as well, and you're starting to you know, become an adult or at least the early phases of that. I went through, should we say, a less motivated phase with respect to my golf right after the move. So I was a little bit lost all over the place looking for kind of a direction in life, what's next, right? And I, I'd started to become better at better at maths in school. It just seemed to be something that uh, came to me naturally. Um, but I like to apply it into the real world. So the applications are kind of physics or more recently computer science. And that's where um, in my last year, I, I took a gap year after I did uh, kind of A-levels in the UK to really figure out what I was doing. I worked at uh, Deloitte, an entrepreneurial business, which was my first kind of commercial world experience in uh, seeing sort of small and medium-sized enterprises and what that meant from the sort of financial professional services and consulting side being at Deloitte. Um, and during that year, I then applied to do uh, computer science because I just thought it was a nice application of maths. Imperial was a great school. I was really, really happy when I got accepted there. And I thought spending some time in London, you'll meet amazing people there and, and kind of see where that takes you, right? So my undergrad was done in computer science. And as I learned more and more about the space, I, the artificial intelligence really resonated with me. We did uh, various different assignments. I remember one of them was predicting people's emotions. So you would get sort of readings of whatever facial expressions, um, like 45 action units or something on the face and eyebrow up or down or something like that. Um, And we would predict to 93% accuracy what the emotion was the, the, the person's face was kind of showing, which is as accurate as humans can predict it. And these kind of little tests I just thought were so powerful when you extrapolate where this technology might go one day. Um, and then I, we had to do a sort of industrial placement. So I spent six or nine months working at a macro hedge fund, uh, Brevin Howard, looking at machine learning strategies with them. Um, so I went to my professor, also a South African guy, William Nottenbelt. He had just launched the uh, cryptocurrency center Imperial in 2015. This is also the, uh, the Ethereum blockchain, the sort of second biggest blockchain today was launched. And I went to Will and said, uh, I'm going to predict the price of Bitcoin based on sentiment and all this machine learning uh, sort of techniques I'd learned uh, better than anybody has so far. And he was very unenthusiastic. He was like, Alan, that's, that's, that's old news, man. Why don't you do something really interesting and look at what Ethereum has done to Bitcoin? And Ethereum obviously introduced the notion of smart contracts, programmable right. money, if you like. And that innovation, really learning about that is what kind of set me off on this path. So talk about the companies that you have, like, you know, you are a serial entrepreneur, you, you, your companies have, um, as you progress, they've actually really sort of opened the field of transparency around contracts and changes, and actually addressed a really critical problem, something that, you know, I'm very passionate about, um, which is inclusion. So um, in the sense of inclusion being that everybody gets the opportunity to be able to access, have ownership. Um, get to decide where and what they do and how they how they play in a marketplace. But you know, you just use the word. I'm not sure even I'm going to say it right. Ethereum, right? Let's, which is like you know, people are like, uh, uh, quick, let me Google that. What does it mean? But actually, it's a really important concept. So, can you talk about some of the 
the businesses that you've actually created and 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 how actually it's making technology not only available but but actually really transparent um and actually inclusive in making it inclusive versus these big technology companies which we love let's not get us right we love them we love them for what they are but also you know they've, they've had their share of the game haven't they and it's time now to maybe open it up a little bit so talk a bit about that you know you are a massive advocate for that the businesses that you've created i'll let you talk about them um have done that both from a ticketing perspective just opening up this concept of tokens and exchange I mean, it's a whole new world, but it's so fascinating. So, so share some of that. Yeah, for sure. Let's start with a sort of high-level overview of what was innovative about this technology, right? Because then we can understand the problems that we tried to apply it to um, to solve them. So there's a lot of complicated terminology around blockchain, and it's, it's the nature of a technical industry. People like to be very precise, but... At the end of the day, the thing we couldn't previously do, which blockchain enables, is create scarcity without a trusted intermediary. It's pretty much that simple, right? With scarcity, you can't actually have any genuine representation of value without scarcity. If something isn't scarce, it it has no value, right? It's infinitely available. So that ability to represent value and to move that around is what Bitcoin really enables. No intermediaries, like you say, transparent and immutable so that nobody could tamper with it, kind of creates that beautiful audit trail. And then the second generation of blockchain is what Ethereum kind of created, which is coined smart contracts. And what you layer on top of that is the ability to create rules around this value. How is this value created? what conditions have to hold for this value to be transferred. You can think of these, the reason they call it smart contracts is almost like contractual clauses, right? At the end of the month, you will pay me X if you did your job properly or whatever it is. So that's what Ethereum brought to the space in the the kind of second generation of smart contracts. And when you look at the industries we got involved in, so I had done my, my master's thesis with, with Will and Imperial at, on film rights distribution. And in exploring the film industry, it became clear quite quickly that music typically adopts new technology first and then film does. So we thought, okay, let's start with the music industry. And in music, there's two major subcategories, right? There's recorded, which is your Spotify's and you're, you're kind of playing it on your phone. And there's live where people attend events and whatnot. And revenues and growth in recorded is decreasing because of the business models there, but in live is massively increasing. So we thought, okay, growth market in a sector where this is very applicable, we think there might be some problems there. And in doing our analysis, really noticed in the ticketing market how there were certain inefficiencies in the secondary market. Now, it was a bit naive at first, our approach being you know, very technical in background and coming into this industry and thinking, oh, it's just a tech problem. There are various political reasons and and sort of monopolistic behavior in the market, which is why it is the way it is. But the tech can help support that. And specifically the point you're mentioning around transparency, right? This technology that now does not require intermediaries means 
essentially from an economic perspective, you can move away from this notion of economies of scale, right? Where something needs to scale to be really big for it to be efficient. Yeah. With blockchain, the technology is so efficient at the base layer, we can do much more sort of decentralized and put the power back in the sort of masses and individuals and just as efficiently come together as in that sort of economies of scale. So when you apply that problem to, or you apply that, those properties to these kind of problem areas in ticketing, for example, what we found is you don't want to touch the transaction. You don't want to be dealing with the money of the sale of the ticket because of how the industry is structured. That's a very hard way to break in. But if you restructure what you think as, as the access right, it was originally a piece of paper moved to barcodes. Now it's moving to these, what you call NFT tickets, or should we say yeah. the blockchain tickets where you can essentially lock the ticket to an identity and you can very transparently track how that ticket moves between various different identities. So maybe the identity is the identity of a phone, so you bind it to a phone. Maybe it's an actual individual's identity. There's various ways of thinking about identity and how you validate that when somebody shows up at the venue. But this infrastructure gives you the ability to much more efficiently manage this shed light on some of what's happening in the secondary market, which ultimately allows the artist to deliver the experience to the fan as they intended with maximal effect alongside the promoters and managers and whatnot who, who are involved in that value chain. So yeah, that, that I think was, that was available when George Michael was having those debates around like who owns the music rights for his music. Boy, would it maybe have created a very different play for, for his passion for the music and who should who should benefit from that, right? I mean, you can kind of play that back and say, actually, that you're solving a problem that many musicians and um, artists, whether it's in the film or uh, music industry, were saying, like, actually, let the people have access to the music and exchange that in a fair, fair way, right? So it's kind of really addressing a very real problem that existed. I'm sure if he's listening above, he's going, carry on, Alan, because that's the way forward. <laughs> um, if you're a George Michael fan, I am. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, but it's a really interesting concept. So, you know, you've created several businesses from this. And one thing that I, you know, because I like to kind of find out interesting facts, is you say experience is not everything. I find that a really interesting um, and insightful comment from an entrepreneur because a lot of people that listen to this show particularly are you know want to be entrepreneurs they want to hear inspirational stories they may have this brilliant idea they may be right now thinking I've got this idea around you know how web3 might play out for me or some of the technology and some of the space that you're playing in could be a real collaboration but I don't know that I've got the experience to do it you know you said earlier we came at it from a tech perspective, but actually there's a whole lot more. Tell me why that comment, experience is not everything, um, was so important to you. I'll couple that with one with other thing, which is influence comes from the people that you know. You talked about your professor and how you learn. I kind of put those two together and go like, experience is not everything. Influence is about people, like, you know, who, who you know and who you work with and who you trust kind of thing. Tell us a little bit about that journey for you. Yeah, so on the experience front, right, there's there's various different ways of looking at it. Base, kind of as an individual for trying to achieve something, you kind of look at your base talent or should we say the things you were born with 
you then have your your skills, the things you really worked hard on creating for yourself and you spent the time. Um, and then experience as you kind of use your talent and skills over the years, which helps sort of further refine that. That's the way I kind of look at the, the sort of base skill sets of an entrepreneur, right? Experience. It's difficult sometimes when you look back on your life and you've done different things to say, oh, the reason I had this success was because of this property, that property, that property. Because if you changed any one of them, you don't know which one actually created that sort of causal link to the, the result that you were trying to achieve. So sometimes people who are amazing people in business, have worked in business for 40 years, had great successes they don't necessarily know which of their characteristics are the ones that led to those successes. They know all of them together potentially lead to that result. But to say just this one thing or that one thing from my experience is so important, it's difficult to dissect and objectively sort of quantify. So that's one thing. But that's not to say experience doesn't matter, right? Like it's very important to surround yourself with people who know what they're doing. And better yet, the more independent sources you can draw on Mentors is a very important part of being an entrepreneur. Finding people that you respect, who see something in you, maybe something of themselves, and they want to help sort of foster that. Learning from their experience and listening to everybody, always having an open mind. I think it was, I can't remember, somebody said strong opinions loosely held. You have your strong opinions, you form your mm-hmm. view of the world, but be willing and ready to change that as in when you are given evidence of the country, right? So if you have four or five mentors, all completely independent, diverse backgrounds, mm-hmm. all telling you the same thing, there's probably something to it. They all yeah. have a different opinion on it. Then maybe the experience is not so relevant to that particular element. So yeah. all of this kind of plays a role in trying to build. And then ultimately everything comes down to relationships, right? Yeah. The fundraising, which enabled building the products, hiring the team, that was able to take these ideas to the next level and further develop the ideas, come with their own ideas, and ultimately signing the clients. Every one of those aspects is about relationships with people. And if, if you don't work on that and actively see that as one of the most important elements of, of your job as an entrepreneur, I, I truly think you'll, you'll struggle to get to get anywhere. And, you know, you have been very um, active in sort of being um, a voice for technology. Um, in technology, and let's talk about Web3, because technology, you know, Web3, the new wave of, of the internet, internet for good, as as, as some people refer to it, um, you know, you're an advocate for that, but, but mentorship around that as well. So why is, you know, for all those budding entrepreneurs and actually all of those corporations that are listening to, because we do get some high level CEOs, they, they say they don't listen, but we know they do. We know who you are. Um, and, and they are interested, too, in budding entrepreneurs. Why is Web3 so important and how can you explain it to the average person like me? OK, that, you know, I liken it to Brexit. Like it's a complex subject, but you can make it simplistic in a way that can help people it is really important right it's the internet for good can the internet be good is it a liberator or is it really an enslaver tell us your views on web3 yeah so let's start with some definitions and then we'll get to the conclusion of uh, how people choose to use it yeah so Web 3, let's do Web 1, Web 2, right? The internet itself, obviously, is just a bunch of computers that are connected and talk to each other. Web 1 was all about 
reading content. You had these big servers, companies that would create informational websites or whatever, and you would sit at home and you would pull this information and you would kind of read it or consume it. What Web2 then did, this is really where social media started to explode, is read and write. So rather than just pulling information from these websites like Facebook, you would start with user-generated content, posting YouTube videos, Facebook pictures, all of this kind of stuff, creating more of a dynamic internet environment um, of reading and writing. What Web3 adds to this equation is owning as well. You can actually have digital ownership and everything that comes along with that, the scarcity notion that I mentioned before. So Web3 is really all about the ability. The, the internet itself was not set up very well for payments, for uh, sort of value exchange. Any of that stuff is still a lot of manual processes, right? Today, if you transfer banks between, uh, money between international banks, you're waiting days in a yeah. world where we can send each other a text in less than a second. Right? Seconds, it's crazy right? So it's a base building block that's going to help a lot of that. And the reason it's so in the forefront of people's mind is because of crypto, right? It was an interesting market like the stock market, like what Robin Hood did with sort of shares and that kind of way of making investing easy for people in the stock market. Crypto was very easy and unregulated, and, and that's why. But that's one application of blockchain. The, the Web3 technology itself will fade more and more into the background where I think people will start using it without even knowing that they're using it because they're getting value from these properties. That's more and more where it'll go. And of course, crypto and trading in the markets and financial side will stay interesting for those that are interested in playing in that domain. But the core technology now is really starting to get used underneath things. Like any technology, it's not inherently good or evil. It's how... I mean, even the defense industry, you could argue some people use it for defending rather than attacking. That's that's questionable. But most technology is how people end up applying it, right? Yeah. So let's have an example in the ticketing world from what I spoke mm-hmm. about before. You could use this technology to ensure that what's promised with the artist, let's say Ed Sheeran, he's big on, on sort of making sure he does right by his fans, right? He could make sure that none of his tickets ever sell for above whatever price and everything is enforced properly all the way through, let's call it the supply chain of a ticket from sale to redemption when you enter the venue. Or his manager could use it to ensure that they still, the market works exactly the same as it currently does, but they get their fair share of all of the revenue within that market. Or somebody downstream can use it to ensure that they control it downstream, right? So there's various ways, more right or wrong, depending on where you kind of draw the line uh, with respect to what you're trying to optimize towards, where it could be good or bad. But ultimately, it does give us the ability to empower individual communities and move away from these models like the tech companies storing all data and benefiting from it, right? You can now build systems where you are paid for your data if it's used in advertising. So... I think more and more use cases, it's going to act like a nuclear deterrent. Big businesses in the financial world, in big tech, across many industries, are going to be forced to innovate their business models in a more fair direction because of the pressure of competitors using this technology for good. So ultimately, I see it as leading to improve the scenario for the the, the kind of individual, every man from this technology. 
So where's your vision taking you? You know, you've raised all this money, you've created these platforms where, you know, whether it's ticketing, whether it's payment opportunities, um, whether it's about opening up sources for token exchange on different aspects around payments, um, an opportunity for people to kind of like collectively create their own, if you like, um, exchange platforms. Where's your big vision going where do you see you know not only have you done that I should also say like you know you've done it in a ecologically sound way we're on we're in this week is Davos um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of talkers going out there at the moment um but maybe they need to hear from the practitioners the people that are really making it happen about where the vision is so where's your vision Alan so I just want to, for our companies, what we are trying to achieve is being a part of onboarding the world to Web3, right? The the real definition, the the goal is to continue to improve the infrastructure, be a part of improving the infrastructure that we have um, to kind of drive advancement across society. So we're a minor part of that today, but more and more this technology really has the ability to drastically transform ecosystems. And we've seen a lot of interesting stuff already happening, right? People are moving towards more sustainable infrastructures. The impact this has had in developing nations, uh, their example of, of crypto games that were basically exclusively Axie Infinity is an example that blew up in, this is a game on Ethereum, it blew up in the Philippines. Um, and such a large amount of people started playing the game because they were able to earn triple what the sort of average salary earning was um, that they otherwise had access to. So the ability to create fairer economic systems, people send money back to developing economies now without 20, 30, 40% fees. You can do it for a few cents. There's so many ways that this can help better connect the world um, and, and improve our infrastructure as a whole. So might not be the sexiest kind of vision, but yeah, being a part I of I think it's a pretty sexy vision, right? Yeah. I mean, just thinking about, you know, the UN have 21 sustainable goals that they're trying to achieve, um, you know, that are empowering and saying to companies, governments, institutions, hey, we can't do this alone. Web3 potentially offers, opens up that platform to make some of these massive challenges, and they are global challenges. We can't move away from them anymore and say, it's a government challenge or a corporation challenge or an institution challenge. It is a collaboration and it's making technology like at the core of how it can be a good thing. Like technology is not bad. It's not, you know, I'm a big believer technology is not destroying jobs. It's creating jobs. Technology is creating interesting work. It's actually solving societal problems. As you say, it depends on how it gets used. Right. And ultimately that that's the, you know, that's the foundation that you are proving with the companies that you have um, in, invested in and or have, you know, serially created um, to prove out that point. You, you know, you've said um, actually you've been quoted and I wholeheartedly agree with you that, you know, the downturn in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was probably a good thing. Right. It kind of sifted out those bad players in the market or people that were perhaps more focused on like, Let's go with the hype rather than actually doing what you're talking about, which is like let's invest in a sustainable infrastructure that actually works and capture on those ideas wherever they may come. So I have to come into a little bit about knowing a bit more, digging deeper. You know, 
I don't have the facial technology AI that tells me like what you're thinking right now, but I am intrigued by that. We may talk about that later on another on another webcast. But let's let's delve a little bit more into Alan, right? You know, here you are, 30 under 30, having created this. You talk about the need to be tough and ruthless, right? Like, you know, hard work, determination, but this kind of ruthless quality. I go like, ruthless? Like, you don't look like a ruthless kind of guy. But I don't think you mean ruthless in the sense of, like, just, you know, in it for me. I think your ruthless is a different kind of take on that word. Tell me if I'm right or wrong and what you mean by that. Yeah, I think the most important thing is to try and be objective, right? As, as much as possible, keeping an even temperament, not being too happy with any of the ups or people agreeing with you, not being too depressed with any of the downs or people disagreeing with you. Um, as much as possible, trying to be objective, trying to be rational. And people at times can say that comes across a bit cold. I know things that I've had to work about on over the years is especially with staff internally and telling people, yeah, great job, or they've done a great job, or no, we need to improve this or that. Um, because most of the time, you know, we, we all work really hard, we get it done, and then we move on to the next thing. Yeah. So I think, yeah, in, ruthless is not intended to mean planet doesn't matter, the other people don't matter, let's just optimize towards ourselves. I think ruthless in pursuit of the objective without distractions, right? That's that's the really important part. Objective, focused, and not getting taken off path by things that don't really matter to the core objective of what we're all waking up for. So I think that's a great playback moment. I always have like this. Some, there's always an aha moment happens on my podcast, me personally, um, and that was my aha moment. And this is the one where I say, go back and re-listen, rewind, listeners. And just listen to that sentence again, because it was all about, you know, have the focus, don't get distracted, stay true to what you're trying to to achieve um, and be really disciplined about it. I guess that's where maybe some of that goal came in to it. But I really like that. Ruthless in your pursuit of what your goal is, I think, is a very powerful uh, message for um, businesses in general to stay the course um, and not get sidetracked. Um and, and be true to following that that path. Um, I go back and listen to that. There's plenty of nuggets all around, but but that one I think just kind of hits. So I've got to ask as well, right? We've got to like it's really current. It's been in the news this week. I've been on. I've tried it. Chat GBT, right? It, people may not know what it is, but I've been quite intrigued in it. Um, it's AI. It's in the space of where you have, you know you are an expert in there's lots in the media about microsoft's 10 billion dollar potential investment in this in this new thing where you kind of go in you ask it a question it's the kind of the taking the web two to potentially a web three it's kind of letting you ask questions and get information back is ai designing ai as some people have said this could be What's Google doing about this? Because suddenly they're in the space of like, hang on a minute, isn't that what like, I'm just going to Google this, Dick, um, do? Is this now playing in this space, our favourite saying? What's your take? What do you say to the people that are debating this right now? Because it's a big thing into Web3, I think. Is it not? Or am I wrong? I, yeah, I think it's really exciting to see how far AI has come, right? We've had Siri and Alexa and all of these tools for a while, but that's, 
it's really a fancy way of selecting from a menu. With chat GPT, when you, you kind of uh, interact with this bot, it feels very different than the kind of intelligence it shows. I mean, I, I don't know to what degree you've played with it, but one thing I like to do is we um, would do these kind of meetings, right? And I have a tool that transcribes the conversation. And then I'll yeah. put that into chat GPT and say, please give me the action points and the kind of summary and everything. And it's amazing how accurately it, it even does that. So processing new data, drawing on other data. Once this thing gets properly let go, and we, right now I think we have chat GPT version three, version four is coming, which is sort of a whole nother level. So I think it's very exciting what the base technology can do. I've heard, I think I saw Google's got kind of red alerts around. They, they, they're now fast-tracking their uh, <laughs> their version of it. So um... Exactly. And then Microsoft, one interesting thing that I saw from the deal structure with Microsoft and ChatGPT, I believe in the early years, they from any profits, they recoup their investment. But over time, it shifts to a 50-50 split. And in the long term, the profits stay with ChatGPT. So despite this investment, it's really them looking at it as whatever the timeline is, five to 10 years of first to market of being able to use this and ultimately giving up the revenues in the future for that advantage. So it's not even your traditional kind of investment, which is very interesting to see the sort of strategic thinking that might be happening at Microsoft that that suggests. That's right? fascinating. Yeah. They are certainly so, doing some interesting things in the space, without a doubt. Yeah. And do you, oh, you obviously see it as a play for all of the things and where you've invested and, and kind of what you are trying to, to bring forward. I mean, this is this is continuing to open up the avenues, is it not? Is it not heightening the the sort of the awareness of just the capability of what technology can do um, and how blockchain can play a part in this? Yeah, so between sort of blockchain and especially the payments infrastructure that we're, we're seeing really starting to change on the financial markets, these sort of intelligent AI tools that will ultimately be able to draw on anything that is digital um, and concepts around sort of metaverse where obviously Facebook announced this a couple of years ago now, uh, and people are more and more kind of building out those elements. But you're starting to see a world come together of, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, but no, I'm not. World, so, yeah, you kind of live in this virtual world. You transact there, and, and every now and then, the real world's kind of not so interesting. And you just get sense sort of your core subsistence that you've won by playing this game in in this kind of fake world, and you're playing against real people and computer intelligence. So it's it's very advanced. It's pushing forward things significantly, um, and I'm really excited to see what what happens with ChatGPT. I mean, it's really good times for the AI industry. Um, and something I finished my master's in AI in 2016, and couldn't even dream of something like this when you know you, you kind of reach the edge of where certain elements of research are in the world, and to see what's happened in what five six years. Yeah, it's very exciting to see what might happen in the next ten. We've just got to be careful with uh, how it plays out, obviously. Yeah. Well, I hope to see you writing about it and talking about it because I do think it does need visionaries like yourself to actually be contributing to the chat on these new technologies as they come out. So I hope to hope to be reading about your opinions on this um, in the future. I'm going to come back with uh, one question that is particularly, um, I guess, important um, in my kind of my heart, I guess, which is, I, you know, do you think that your diverse experience having lived and worked 
um, in different cultures and and what you're trying to what you have shown um, with what you've done with blockchain. Is it truly opening up the opportunities for inclusion? There are many people, as you've said, like whether it's payments, that people, you know, trying to send payments to across countries in underserved populations and um, underrepresented founders um, massively continues to be an issue. Um, does blockchain and, and Web3, does it open up that? And do you think your own personal experience of having that diversity is actually core to the potential success of entrepreneurs? I'm curious. So to the first half of that question, then, is blockchain opening things up more? Yes, to a degree, especially because of the lack of regulation, right? There was the ability for everyone and anybody to kind of get involved in this market early on. And that left to, led to a lot of problems because, of course, the easiest way of making money is to kind of cheat. And if you yeah. have a situ- scenario where that's possible and not enforced, that's why we have some of the negative sentiment from the sort of 2017 ICO bubble and, and various other crypto winters we've had since then. But the flip side of that coin is that everybody has access, including various underrepresented people, people who don't quite have the advantages or, should we say, the access to capital, the democratization of capital is a very important one in solving this problem, right? If you look at the, the sort of founders, there's, there's a demographic profile that emerges as a significant majority, um, despite merit-wise, you wouldn't necessarily expect them to be the case. So that democratization of access to capital, to debt, to financial markets that operate more efficiently, less relationship-based, more merit-based, because you just have the, the transparency of the KPIs that you can enforce on the blockchain, right? It shows transparency. So you can see how many transactions are occurring, how many users there are, these kind of things. Um, I believe that there is the ability, if people so choose and the regulators leave room for it, for this technology to, to create a big difference in sort of inclusion. When it comes to experience, the second half of what you were asking there, I've noticed it in our businesses that the best teams are those with diversity of thought. So often having different backgrounds leads to diversity of thought. If you've lived in various different countries, I remember when I moved to Germany, I didn't speak German and I went into a German school, not an international school. And certain things that you just think are like universal truths in the world as a kid mm-hmm. are just not because people laugh at you for it or, you know, it's just completely different cultures. And um, those kind of learnings but the only moving around is not the only way of getting those right. I mean, going through difficulties and overcoming difficulties, um, really taking challenges head on, that's what ultimately builds um, sort of diversity of thought, diversity of experience, and in, in, from what I've seen. So the better, and so does that then impact performance? What I've seen with teams is the more diversity of thought that exists, people from different backgrounds, ethnicities, genders, sexual preferences, whatever, right? All the arbitrary classifications that we create around people, the more mm-hmm. diverse teams are, often the more, should we say, friction there is between the team, but good friction because yeah. people have different viewpoints. They don't just agree. And that ultimately, if you have the right management structure and a, and a very emotionally intelligent manager to help make sure that you 
you, you keep this productive, that's where you get the best ideas from. So yes, I think it I think it's important to evaluate myself. It's, it's difficult. I believe it's helped me, but yeah, who knows? Yeah. Well, you sound to me like you you have um uh, a mindset that says I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. I need to like have like that diversity of thought around me to help me ask the questions why, why not, what if, what could be. Um so um that's the sense I get from from who you are. And certainly um, you know, you've been an inspiration to many, many people. If anybody looks you up, they can just see how much of a thought leader you have been um for the tech industry and to individuals, which, you know, is the kind of leader I call them leaders of difference. Um, you know, you are the leader of difference that hopefully is going to continue to make that um, you know, make that traction going forward. We need more of them. We need we need the advocates and you certainly in the businesses that you've done um are taking them there. So I think well, I'm certainly much more educated on on Web3 um, and blockchain. So I, I no longer feel like I need to refer to blockchain for dummies, which I felt I did need back in probably 2017, I think it was, um, when my head was hurting and I thought, like, oh, I'm never going to get this. Um, and I would encourage people to kind of, like, really read about it. It is important. And certainly um, we're going to get on to how they can find out a bit more from you. But um, as much as I'd like to to chat more, um, I'm conscious that we are running out of time. So I do have one last question, which I ask everybody, which is their daring to moment. So it could be something that you're daring to do. It's your daring to moment. It's what you did. Um, or it's a daring to just believe. What's your daring to moment that you want to share with the listeners? The biggest one that sticks out to me is a personal risk I took when when starting all of this. I had just finished uni and you know you don't have much money as a as a recent graduate got your uni debts to kind of deal with and i just raised my first angel round for a business so this was late 2016 i'd raised like eighty thousand pounds and now i wanted to like spend every dollar as like as little as i could to get as much as i could out of it and from a personal perspective that meant cutting as many costs in my personal life as possible right dedicating ridiculous amount of time to work so i had maybe a thousand pounds in savings or something like that and i decided to invest all of it into the cryptocurrency ether ethereum so i think it was about ten dollars at the time when i made the purchase and then when it got to about fifty dollars my investors told me alan amazing return five times in whatever six months or something you should cash that out and sit on that. And I was like, no, guys, I believe in this. And anyway, I needed to go up if I'm going to be able to pay for my, my noodles and whatever. Um, and so I just left it in. And it ended up going to, I mean, you saw it ended up at 5,000 at one point. As it went through those phases, I was selling it off and actually paying for just my food and my heating and my whatever in London whilst I was trying to build this business and draw, draw any money on the company, spend that purely on like marketing or third parties and whatnot to scale as much as possible. So there were a few times where I sat thinking, am I really stupid for doing this um, and, and kind of doubting it? But looking back on it, it was for me a big risk putting all of my money into something that was unproven and everyone told me oh, what do you know about about like financial markets in the world but it paid off fortunately and it helped me build the companies and and get to that next level so i come back to your quote experience is not everything belief a vision um and and real hard work 
and um, being ruthless in the pursuit of an idea and a passion, um, what counts? It sounds like that was your daring too. And boy, I mean, it it's showing its its um, fruit, if you like, in just how it's helping um, in many, many sectors. So, Alan, it's been a privilege um, to talk to you. If people do want to know more about you, about your company, about how they might even work with you and or your mentorship as well, and um, what's the best way to get hold of you? What's your website? Do you have LinkedIn, Twitter? What would they be? Yeah. So the best, the one that I'm personally the most active on is, is LinkedIn. So that's just my name, Alan Bay. Um, but otherwise, yeah, the company's Aventus, Aventus.io, A-V-E-N-T-U-S.io. And then all of the socials are sort of at Aventus Network as well. I'm on Twitter as well at Alan Bay. So, yeah, keep the content. Okay, that's great. Anybody that wants to. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on kicking off 2023 with such a brilliant um, podcast on a topic that is really, really hot at the moment. So this is, podcast is going out ASAP because there's lots of people that need to learn about this as fast as they can. Um, if anybody wants to hear and learn a bit more about um, Dare Worldwide and what we're doing, you can get us on our website, www.dareworldwide.com. If you like this podcast, please like it, please share it. Um, and please recognize the importance of technology in 2023. Um, it is really important and it is a way to change the world. We're big believers. Don't wait for the world to change, change the world you're in. So, um, do that. You can get me and you're here where you can get in contact with us if you're interested in learning more about what we do as well. So thank you very much, Alan. It's been great having you. Thanks for having me, Rita. It's like a chatting to you. Thanks for listening. Enjoyed the conversation? Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes of Daring 2. Also, check out our website, dareworldwide.com, for some great resources around business in general, leadership, and how to bring about change. See you next time.